Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And I'm Dr. Chris Stroud, and this is the show where we and our guests will discuss relevant health-related topics and always from an authentically Catholic perspective. Now, Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the very generous underwriting of our friends at CMF Curo. You can learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us will be Dr. Kathy Shanzer, an ophthalmologist, to reignite our specialty focus series with an emphasis on focus. Uh, see what I did there, Chris? Yes, how could anyone miss what you did there? Except I think maybe <laughs> I don't have the vision to properly see what you did there. Yeah, or we might, yeah. say, we might say the eyes have it, perhaps. Don't they always? So, Chris, what makes <laughs> this topic so important for our listeners? That's easy, Tom. Everybody listening probably has eyes. If they don't have two, they probably have one. Or if they don't even have one that's working, they probably did uh, at some time. So, you know, the ability to see our environment, uh, it's a critical, basic, universal part of being a human being. You know, I cannot imagine the trauma of losing my vision. And if I think about it, the first thing that comes to mind is I would never see the faces of my grandchildren yet to be born. Um, and I, I just can't imagine that. You know, we work as human animals, sensing and testing our environment constantly. We're always probing and scanning and, you know, looking for danger. And our eyes play an incredibly important part in getting that job done. Everything, if you think about that, of all the things I should say that we learned through the pandemic and through the covered faces of masks is that it's tough to understand people sometimes when you can't see their face. Uh, yes. You know, there's so much communication that goes on um, behind those masks. Uh, I flew this weekend. It was so nice to see the people's faces <laughs> around me uh, uh, on the airplane. So suffice it to say, vision is a big deal to being human. So those healthcare providers, like our guests, who take care of people's vision, they become a big deal. Uh, right out of the gate. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more from her. And I'm sure we'll hear from her some of the very common conditions that can cause problems with the eye, like diabetes and high blood pressure that, if left unattended, can actually damage the eyes in some cases in a, in a way that's that's permanent. So we'll learn more about how the eyes can be the window to the soul, um, as an attending of mine in medical school used to say. So we need our eyes. So listeners, you know, tune in, get comfortable, and pay close attention. Amen. And, uh, you know, before I chose dermatology, I initially wanted to be a family physician. Then I realized I wasn't happy knowing nothing about everything. So I figured I'd rather know everything about nothing or a small area. <laughs> and before dermatology, I was really wrestling between ophthalmology and dermatology. And something I think they have in common is that patients know when they're getting better. With the skin, they know when they're better and they're really happy about it. Well, the same thing with your vision. You know if you can't see. And they have a lot of really cool toys. I think more than just about any other specialty. I thought that was wonderful. But it's a really tiny area in which you get to use all those toys. Uh, but yeah, I, I did them back to back in my internship year. I loved both rotations. I even went to the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology, pathology course on um on ophthalmology, which was really cool, uh, knowing what's going wrong. But uh, I, it was just a gut decision. So I think ophthalmology is an absolutely wonderful specialty. I'll tell you, my brush with ophthalmology during my residency training in obstetrics and gynecology was not not quite as impressive as yours, perhaps. Um, I remember, though, very clearly once in a big Grand Rounds lecture, we had an ophthalmology attending that was lecturing. And he said something along the lines of, when I look into a patient's eyes, I'm looking into their soul. And then he <laughs> called on me as the sole gynecologist in the room. And he said, when you look at your patients, what do you see? And I said, well, not their eyes, um, probably not their soul. 
Um, so <laughs> that was my experience with the specialty. But I think of all the specialties, they do have some of the coolest tools. I just got my eyes checked recently. And, you know, it used to be a secret what's going on inside the eye when they would come at you with those fancy little ophthalmoscopes. Um, but now it's projected on a big LED screen that everybody can see. It's no longer a, it's no longer a mystery, and it is fascinating to see the little blood vessels pulsating in the very back of your eye. You know, there's a subspecialty of ophthalmology that I deal with in most surgery, and that's oculoplastic surgery. A lot of people uh, probably don't realize there is a subspecialty of ophthalmology dealing with plastic surgery repair of the eyes, because a lot of plastic surgeons, general plastic surgeons, don't even have the experience. Uh, because in the last several months, I have ended up removing two entire lower eyelids on patients for skin cancer. I mean, not just the skin, oh but even into the, the muscle and what's called the tarsal plate below it. Yeah. Wow. And then, I mean, the people that can repair that, they are amazing. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to, to learning a lot more about this amazing specialty from our guest. But you know, at this point, it's time to jump forward with a medical trivia question, Tom. I know our listeners uh, can't wait to see what you have to offer. Our, 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 yes, the category for today is cranial nerves. So for those who are unaware, there are 12 pairs of nerves that connect directly between the brain and their end organ. And the end organ could be the eye, could be the nose, could be some muscles. Okay, so uh, they don't have to relay through the spinal cord like most of our other nerves. The first cranial nerve, for instance, is called the olfactory nerve and transmits sensations of smell. So how many of the 12 cranial nerves, we know one isn't, so it's 11 or less, how many of the 12 <laughs> cranial nerves are involved with vision and eye function? And as a clue, I'm going to give you a little mnemonic. On old Olympus towering top, a Finn and German viewed some hops. And if you don't know what that means, it's okay, because we're going to explain it to you at the end of the show. But right after the break on Dr. Doctor, we'll be back with Dr. Kathy Shanzer and ophthalmology. We're back on Dr. Doctor with our guest, Kathy Shanzer. She's a Texan by birth. She stayed there for medical school at, at UT in Houston. She did a residency at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston in ophthalmology. She has a large eye surgery practice in Sayre, Pennsylvania. She's been married to 43 years to Tom, has eight adopted children, 21 grandchildren, probably a high energy level. Uh, she also does just a little bit of mission work twice a year, and we'll talk somewhat more about that as we get through. And And little is an understatement. And you can also see Kathy and her husband, Tom, on YouTube at a site, which probably won't make sense to you till later, but it's www.thegiftsofsarabu.com. And Sarabu is S-E-R-A-B-U. I probably pronounced it wrong, but she'll correct us later. Kathy, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thank you so much for having me. It sounds like this is going to be a very interesting little time <laughs> together. So, Kathy, of, of all the things you could do, clearly, uh, you know, there was no room for you in OBGYN or dermatology. Um, so, so you made the decision to become an ophthalmologist. Uh, after four grueling years of medical school, you, you kept going to do that. So help us and our listeners understand what drew you to this specialty. Okay, that's really not too hard. I uh, thought I wanted to be primary care, sort of like uh, you know you guys have discussed already. Uh, and I did an internship in pediatrics. And as a medical student, because I was in Houston, we went down to the border a lot and worked in clinics down there. So I was really sure this is what God was calling me to do. During my uh, time to apply for a residency, my husband was adamant that we needed to look at things that weren't quite as demanding as primary care. So I decided, okay, well, I would look into ophthalmology because in ophthalmology, you have to apply for your internship and your residency at the same time. So you have oh, to get right. both of those lined right. up. And then your internship can be in anything. It can be in surgery or peds or internal medicine or whatever. And so right. I started out in pediatrics and um, I, I did fine in the beginning, but then I had to spend several consecutive months at MD Anderson Hospital and watch children die. And it was that time mm. that I knew I could not watch children die. And wow. since I already had the ophthalmology program in my back pocket, I signed my letter of intent um, in <laughs> December or January of that year. 
and jumped in. I went to my, I went to our, you know, every, everybody's got some type of counselor at school. I went to the counselor and I said, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm getting depressed over these kids that are dying. Uh, I, I've got the ophthalmologist thing kind of hanging in there. I don't know what to do. And I don't want to just ask which is better one or two for the rest of my life. You know, like when you have refractions and stuff. And, and he was so, um, he was, uh, he was so kind. And he said, our Lord Jesus Christ cured the blind. Could mm. you think of not a better thing to do? I, went, I think that's awesome, Henry. Um, and this is not a Catholic, you know, this was not a Catholic program. This was wow. University of Texas. So, um, so I accepted my ophthalmology program and I have not looked back. I have loved it from the very start. It is absolutely the best subspecialty, far better than dermatology. Um, and, uh, it, you know, it just, allows you to take care of kids, adults, neonates, yep. sick people. It allows you to go on mission trips and actually restore sight to the blind and change people's wow. lives and free people up from the poverty trap that they're in. It's just the most amazing, most amazing thing you could do. I love it. Now, Kathy, I was in medical school, I hate to say for our listeners, but in the late 80s, early 90s. And it seems like if I remember right, you know, ophthalmology was crazy popular, and then it sort of went away almost, and then it came back in huge popularity. And is it true that that was around the time of the, the sort of advent of Lasix surgery? Um, that's true. Um, so some of the problem has to do with just the dexterity. So some people kind of got knocked out because they could not do surgery under a microscope with their hands and you mm. got to use your feet at the same time. So you got to be able to use the microscope pedal, the phaco machine pedal or the laser pedal or whatever other thing you're doing. So both hands, both feet are working constantly. So if you took piano, you know, or known to how to yeah, play yeah, the yeah. organ. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, organ yeah. Exactly. So that are you, a, are you a pianist, like, Kathy? Are you a pianist? I, well, I, I am sort of. Uh, yeah, I quit playing for a long time. But since I moved up here to Pennsylvania, I've started taking lessons again. And it's been so much fun. And I have just the coolest, coolest uh, teacher. He's just so fun. Now, as we mentioned in the intro, Kathy, you guys in ophthalmology have some pretty remarkable technology. Tell us about, you know, your, your favorite, at least. Or, but tell us about some of the technology in your specialty. All right. So clinically, we've got certain things that we use, like the slit lamp, which lets you look in the front of the eye at the cornea, look at a cataract, allows you to check the pressure. That's kind of one of our just basics, which we've had a long time. Got up thalmoscopes, both a direct and indirect. That lets you look on the inside of the eye. So uh, if you're looking for somebody that may have diabetic retinopathy or glaucoma or maybe changes due to their hypertension, or even mm. things like anemia, leukemia can show up in the retina. So those are sort of like the, the ones that we use like every single day. But then we've mm. got some, some fun lasers. Uh, so we've got a YAG laser that will help us to, to treat people with uh, glaucoma or to open the little posterior capsule after they've had cataract surgery. We have um, SLT laser and argon uh, lasers um, that are used for treating glaucoma. And then mm. there's also the ones that we use for refractive surgery. So the eczema and the femtosecond. And then more recently, uh, the laser um, uh, assist, uh, the laser adjustable lens has been approved. So an intraocular lens can be placed inside of the eye and then you use a laser to alter it. So that's just really cool technology. In addition, oh, my goodness. we Okay, you started me. Okay, so I'm not even, not even getting there. So we also have, we have things like for glaucoma. So we have the minimally invasive glaucoma surgery. So we have all these little devices that while we're in there doing their cataract surgery, we can just slip them into the drain part of the eye and help their glaucoma and get them off of some of the drops. So that's that's been really, really cool. And then there's all this different stuff. You know, the big thing is dry eye. So I have all these different things to diagnose dry eye, like uh, MMP3s, which will show inflammation, uh, how to check the osmolarity. And then there's treatments, like where you can actually put heat, special instruments, machines in that you put on their lids to, to get the meibomian glands to, um, to work better. 
Um, there's new there's new things like the OCT. So we can look at the retina or the cornea. So the cornea has all these different layers and we can use this to look at the cornea both in the clinic or if I've done a corneal transplant and I want to look at the, to see if the cornea is um, attached to the patient's cornea. So I can get into the, all the different types of corneal transplants, but wow. the OCT allows me to be sure that that's, that's attached. And the OCT is wow. used for retina as well. So there's just you know, there's wavefront aberrometry, there's tomography, topography. It just goes wow. on and on. We just need lots of stuff. <laughs> wow, Kathy. Now you said, if I heard you right, while we're in there, we can just do this and this and this. So I'll bet a lot of listeners like me are struggling to understand what you mean by in there. <laughs> how, okay. How can you how can you be inside someone's eye? Oh, quite easily. So um, we're in there <laughs> taking out their cataract. So remember, the cataract is in a bag. We open the front of the bag, we clean out the cataract, and we put an intraocular lens in the bag. While we're doing that procedure, we can go through that same incision and put a little, um, it's a tiny, tiny device. There are a number of them. There's the the the, the hydrus, there's the um, eye stent, there's a number of them that we can go in and put in the trabecular meshwork, or we can actually remove some of the trabecular meshwork to aid the outflow of the fluid for those people who have glaucoma. So if you have a patient who's got cataracts and they're on two or three glaucoma meds, if you can do one of these, we call it MIGs, minimally invasive glaucoma surgery. If you can put a MIG in there while you're in surgery doing their cataracts, you can knock off some of their medicines. And you know on the elderly, it's already hard enough to get those drops in. Now, I think you've made a mistake. MIGS stands for Minimally Invasive Gynecologic Surgery. <laughs> um, no, 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 no. I think you're quite wrong. You know, as a gynecologist, I stick some things in some funny places, but I just can't imagine putting something inside someone's eye. And, and I'll bet a lot of our listeners feel the same. Is that hard to do? Well, it is if you don't know what you're doing. It's like anything. Is it hard to drive a car if you don't know what you're doing? I mean, obviously, you have to be trained to do this. You're trained to do the cataract surgery properly. You're trained to do the insertion of these uh, devices properly. And when you're trained to do them properly, your outcomes are very good. And you really have to be careful with all the measurements preoperatively, everything that you're doing. It's not just, you know, once and you're done. I mean, we're firm believers in measure twice and cut once, you know, so we're very careful with all our measurements. Kathy, one of the things that I saw done that really freaked me out the first time I saw it is taking a huge needle and injecting anesthetic behind the eyeball by going, you know, between the eyeball and the lower eyelid. Is that a thing? That is a thing, but we don't do it very often in the United States of America. The reason being, we mostly treat our patients in cataract surgery with uh, uh, IV sedation and topical anesthesia. If we're going to be uh. doing more extensive surgery, like um, the what's called manual small incision cataract surgery, which is what we do in Africa, then we will do a block, a peribulbar block. So that okay. makes it so that they're not feeling so much. But in the United States, uh, you know, if I, if I do 2000 cataracts a year, I would say maybe five of them would get the retrobulbar uh, injection. Got it. So how many years of training did it take after your internship in pediatrics to do what you do today? So after your internship, you then do the, um, you do the three years of residency, and then it's another one to two years of fellowship, depending on which subspecialty. And um, so I actually did not do a fellowship because by that point I had three kids and, um, <laughs> and my husband was involved in a startup company and we needed somebody to make some money. So I just went out and started practicing. <laughs> that was me, the money maker. So what are some of the subspecialty what are some of the subspecialty options that ophthalmologists can do besides okay, oculoplastic so surgery? Okay, I'm considered comprehensive, which means that I do a little bit of glaucoma, I do lots of cataracts, I do some refractive, um, I do a lot of different types of lasers. But you can also be cornea, which means that you only do corneal transplants and refractive mm. surgery like LASIK and PRK. You could be um, just an anterior segment. So that means that you do the 
the cornea stuff and and do glaucoma stuff, but you don't do the refractive surgery. Then there's also glaucoma specialist and vitreoretinal specialist and glaucoma specialist and uveitic specialist and the pediatric strabismus specialist. Um, and you know the oculoplastics also are the ones that do the oncology, like you were already discussing. And just recently, they started a subspecialty called presbyopia which, you know, after you get wow. 40 and your arm's no longer long, your arm's not long enough, you yes. know, that's called presbyopia. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, so they started a subspecialty with that because we now have so many things that go along with that. Mm. Ooh, and then there's neuro-ophthalmology too, Oh, right? I left out neuro. You're correct. I left out neuro. Uh-huh. There is neuro-ophthalmology. So, How can I do okay, that? Okay. Well, since- since those of us on this show all are dealing with presbyopia, tell our mm. listeners what what's new because you know I made it till age forty nine before I bought uh, reading glasses. Okay, so is there an option for those of us with presbyopia besides reading glasses? Well, actually, there is. The <gasps> new drop that just got approved is called Vuity, V-U-I-T-Y. It's a pilocarpine. And so it, uh, it constricts the pupil. And, you know, what happens with presbyopia is that your lens, the lens of your eye, just kind of stiffens up. When you're a kid, it goes from fat to skinny, you know, fat, skinny, yep. fat, skinny, fat, skinny, as you're focusing far, near, far, near, far, near. Then as we get older, it just loses that elasticity and it just sort of right. thickens and hardens. And so so the Vuity is a drop that can um, help. Um, uh, you can use it several times a day. It helps mostly at night. People tend to have more trouble at night. The, the most, to me, that's just sort of temporary. To me, you, looking at some of the new multifocal intraocular lenses is really the way to go. Now, my motto is a chance to cut is a chance to cure. So obviously, <laughs> that's why I would like all of the uh, intraocular lenses. But we have multifocal intraocular lenses. So we have some lenses that will give you near intermediate and distance. So it's like a trifocal. We also, and there's bunches of different ones of that. And then there's now the newest one is called an extended depth of focus. So it's just got a little elevated area on it and, and it stretches the wavelength. So it gives you computer distance and far away distance. The only downside of that one is it doesn't give you real close vision, whereas the trifocal one gives you up close, intermediate and far. And so those, um, Frequently, when people start complaining that you know they can't see up close and they want to, they want to consider that we don't have to wait for them to develop a cataract. We can do what's called a refractive lens exchange. So we're taking out their lens, and frequently they've already started. By the time it aggravates you, you've already started having a cataract. And when we do glare testing, frequently we find out that you're really having more trouble than you thought you were having because you're having glare at night or oncoming headlights or trying to drive in the snow or the rain or the fog. And so during those times, that tells us you already have sort of a dysmorphic lens, not hasn't really gone into the cataract form. And we actually have, we actually have a, another instrument called a Pentacam that will actually measure how the changes in the lens of your eye. So that you can demonstrate to somebody if they go, well, I'm not quite ready for surgery yet. You can show them the little peak now. And then they come back in six months. You show them that the peak has worsened. And they're like, well, it seemed like it was worse, but my visual acuity is the same. And it's because the lens is actually changing during that time. So I have a feeling that a typical week or a typical day for you involves a lot of energy. Um, but give us a sense of what a day in the life of an ophthalmologist is like. Well, right now I'm doing surgery two days out of the week and I'm in clinic three days of the week. And, and it's soon going to move, it's soon going to flip where I'm in surgery three days and clinic two days because we just can't keep up with the demand. Um, when I joined this group up here, when I moved out of Tennessee and moved up here, it was to help with the, with the demand. There's just so many patients even here that um, have cataracts and need surgery. So the typical day, if I'm in the clinic, will consist usually of post-ops as well as cataract evals. 
um, meaning that they come in, we do all their measurements for their for their cataract surgery. So that's going to be measuring their corneal surface, the astigmatism, the length of the eye, the anterior chamber depth, which is from the cornea to the iris, looking at the lens thickness, those sorts of measurements that all get thrown into a formula to help us know what intraocular lens would be good for them. In addition, we can look at the astigmatism and know whether or not we should offer them a toric lens. So a toric intraocular lens will take care of the astigmatism. And the upgraded lens I mentioned before, they will also take care of astigmatism. So if you want to get your astigmatism fixed and get rid of your readers all at the same time, we got you. <laughs> well, I'm not, so sure, many... I'm not sure we know what a day is like because that sounded like a year to me. But, but <laughs> we'll take it. We'll take it on a good faith that, that it was a uh, a day in the life. Uh, so, how many patients can... will you operate on on a given day, and what age range of patients do you see in a given day? Okay, so um, usually in a on a full day of surgery, it's thirty patients, and um, and that will be a combination of routine cataracts as well as the upgraded lenses. And the reason I bring up the upgraded lenses is because they take more time. If we're putting in a toric lens, it's got to be, an, or, an, or even the trifocal lens that's going to correct astigmatism, it has to be lined up exactly according to the axis right. of that person's astigmatism. So you've got to do measurements. You've got to measure the patient sitting up so you get them straight. Then you lay them down and you do more measurements. So those take longer, uh, but, but we do a combination of those. And then on some days, we throw in some corneal procedures into the... Um, into the cataract. So if someone has what's called Fuchs dystrophy, where the endothelium of the cornea is not working anymore, we remove that layer and we put in a real thin layer. Now, years before, like when I was in training, we would do a full thickness corneal transplant and it would take these people a year to recover. Now we can wow. take out the old tissue, put in the new tissue, and they'll be recovered within a month or two. So, wow. and, and it doesn't induce astigmatism because it's only that inside surface of the cornea that we're working with. Well, Kathy, we'll change gears a bit. You know, uh, Tom and I recently did an episode on diseases of the Bible and no surprise, he chose leprosy. Um, but, you know, as you, as you think about that, what are your favorite passages in the Bible dealing with eyes and, and why do those appeal to you? Oh, my very favorite is in the Acts of the Apostles when Paul has the scales fall from his eyes and then he goes back to spread the word. I, I love that. And since we're just still within the Easter season, I always think about that. The other one, which, which is so funny because um, a patient brought this one to me after I had done uh, LASIK surgery on her and she needed to have an enhancement. So it's the one where the, where the, uh, Jesus is healing the blind. And then oh, yes. he says, what do you see? He says, they're walking like trees. Time. So then, yes, yes. Exactly. And so then finally, after he does his quote little enhancement, then, um, <laughs> then yeah. so my patient actually brings in this quote from the Bible to say, even Jesus had to do an enhancement. Don't feel bad that I need to have an enhancement after my but, um, and, and Kathy, you know, since you're, you're the expert, what is the most likely disease that Paul had that caused his blindness? Is it possible to make a guess? Well, to have scales fall from your eyes, that's just, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, because it's the cataracts are inside of the eye. The things that are on the outside of the eye that, that drop the vision would be something like a pterygium that grows over the cornea, but that's not going right. to just fall off. I it mean, I guess scale. God can make and, it and, fall off, but I don't. And trachoma doesn't do that? Chlamydia trachomatis doesn't do that? No, it causes scarring, but it's not going to just uh. fall off the eye. God. Yeah, so it was miraculous. Yeah, very miraculous, yes. And then there's lots of times, you know, in the Bible where Jesus just cured the blind. I mean, he's getting <laughs> mud on their eyes, spitting on them. All the things that I tell my patients not to do. Don't get mud on your eye. Don't spit in your eye. Wash your hands. <laughs> and then yes. Jesus does it and gets away with it. Well, Kathy, oh. that sounds like a perfect time to, to take a break. We'll be right back with more <laughs> Miracles of the Eye on Dr. Doctor. Well, welcome back to Dr. Doctor. We're trying to see our way through this discussion uh, of ophthalmology. So, Kathy, continuing, 
you know, I think all of our listeners, when they hear ophthalmology, they're thinking about LASIK surgery. I mean, certainly you can't drive down the street without seeing a billboard about it. Help us understand <laughs> what's, what is it and what's the big deal about LASIK? All right. Well, LASIK will help you if you have nearsightedness, farsightedness, or astigmatism. And what happens with LASIK is that we use a femtosecond laser. So one of the lasers we talked about earlier to make a flap. And the, the great thing about the femtosecond laser is it allows us to make a flap much thinner than the old keratomes that we used a number of years ago. So if you have, if you make a thinner flap, that gives you more corneal tissue to work with, because the one thing you don't want to do is to ablate so much of the tissue that you weaken the structural integrity of the eye. So you make a flap, lift the flap, and then treat directly onto the stroma of the cornea, and then put the flap back down. And the, and the great thing about that is you may have some foreign body sensation for a day, but usually by post-up day one, you're pretty close to where you're, you're going to be 2020, maybe 2025, but most people see really well. The other thing is, um, is PRK, where you just remove the surface of the uh, cornea, the epithelium, it's like the skin layer of the cornea. You just scrape that away and, to re and treat directly on the cornea. And the, the reason you might do that is because the cornea is not thick enough. And again, you want to maintain that structural integrity. The other thing you can do as a refractive procedure is implantable contact lens. So there's a, a tiny lens that you leave the patient with their own natural lens, as opposed mm. to someone who's lens has become like a cataract. So you, you leave them with that and you put the implantable contact lens. It's a columnar lens made out of a columnar material. And you put that in the eye behind the iris, but in front. So it's going behind the iris in front of the lens. So they can't really see it. And that's been huge for people who have too much correction for their cornea. So they don't have enough corneal tissue. There's not enough, you know, not enough real estate there to, <laughs> to ablate that much. So you can put the ICL into the, um, into the eye and that will correct their vision. And you may have other reasons for wanting to use that. Maybe they've got some other corneal problem. I did, I did the ICL on one of my daughters who was a Winnebago Indian and she has really, really bad um, scarring. I mean, so I was afraid to do ablation on her cornea for fear she would get hazing and scarring. Don't rub mm. your eyes. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> so, What's the so alternative? I put, yeah, I put the ICL in her, but I've got a, a, another kid. One of my sons was going to be heading off to the service. And I was afraid, you know, if he lost his, um, he used to call them birth control glasses that the army issued because they were yes, so ugly. Yes. Um, and so I was afraid he'd be out somewhere and lose his glasses and not mm. be able to find his way back to camp or whatever. So I did LASIK on him before he headed off to the army. So um, with a great mom. You know, there you go. But I mean, those, those are some of the refractive options that we have. And, and of course, the intraocular lenses, as we've discussed, that's a refractive procedure if you're doing it when there's not a cataract. Wow. Kathy, what are some stories? I mean, you've already been telling us these little stories, but what are some of your favorite stories of, um, you know, bringing joy to your life through your patient care? Oh, my gosh, there's so many. For a while, right. I was um, I was working I was working in San Antonio um, just once a month. So the University of Incarnate Word, uh, which yes. is a Catholic university, mm -hmm. and it has the Rosenberg School of Optometry, they had gotten a grant to build a building in the poorest part of of San Antonio. It's where most people won't even go in that area, and they were looking for somebody to come to that area and help them out. So because one of my friends was there, they said, well, I know somebody who does mission work all the time. She can handle this. Yeah. So I went down there and I started seeing patients in this poor area. And what we were developing was in-office surgery. The patients would come in, the students would evaluate them. I would do their surgery in-office, no, no monitoring equipment, nothing, just in-office cataract surgery. Then the, patients, then the patients would be seen by the students. These patients were like my patients in Africa. So Javier had been taking care of his mom. And when she died, as she was dying, the last thing she said to her daughter was, 
you have to get Javier in to get his eyes fixed. So when she brought him in, she literally was holding onto his hand and leading him in. He had bilateral white cataracts. And Mm. so the day after his surgery, when they're driving in, the first thing he notices is that when she turned off her car, goodbye came up on the, on the dashboard. And he said, your car, it says goodbye. It didn't say it, but it, there was the word goodbye. <laughs> she was sure. so excited. She was crying. He was crying. It was just, it was amazing. And then we subsequently did his other eye. But, but there's a little woman in, um, in the village in Sierra Leone. Um, her son, I did his first eye when he was six or eight months. And then the next on the next trip, I did his second eye. And so after the second eye was done, I saw her standing outside of the, um, of, the, of the operating room. But I was so busy running between the clinic and the operating room, I didn't really have time to stop till the end of the day. So I went to her at the end of the day and I said, I'm sorry, it's just been so crazy. What can I help you with? And she just started crying and crying. And she said, you've restored the sight to my son. What you have done, only God can thank you for. And mm. it was just so heartfelt. And so it was just so beautiful that, um, you know, that that she truly felt that this was, I mean, I believe that God it, does all of this. Um, so that was amazing. Um, I also had a patient who had been in a nursing home and her sister brought her in and said, this is, and, and the, and the nursing home patient was like still in her pajamas with a little house coat on. And the sister who came to visit said, this is not my sister. My sister would normally have makeup on. She would be interacting. She'd be, and I examined her and she had like bilateral white cataracts. And I said, well, she can't see anything. And so I said, and she wouldn't, she wouldn't respond to me. She wouldn't talk. She wouldn't do anything. And her sister said, I'm sure it's because she can't see. She can't see to eat her food. She can't see to do anything. I am begging you to do her surgery. And I said, but I don't want to do unnecessary surgery. If I don't feel like I can get somewhere, I don't feel like that's proper. So the sister talked me into it. I did her surgery really feeling like this was not the right thing to do. But when she came in for her post-op, she was dressed to the hilt. She could see everything. I mean, now her world had opened up again. It wasn't like she was all closed in, like she couldn't do anything. You know, it was just, wow. it was just amazing. Um, I have so, Kathy, Kathy, how often during a given day or week do patients come up to you just so thankful for what they've experienced from your hands? Pretty frequently. Very frequently. And and that gives me a chance. That gives me a chance to say, God is a great healer. Let us give the glory and praise to our Lord. So that's my little faith flag. So I can just throw that in. And, and you know, it's, since I do a lot of surgery, I can say that again and again. And it only takes me, you know, 30 seconds. I'm not taking a long time to, to you know, evangelize. I'm just saying, God is who's responsible for this. Let's give God the, the glory and the praise. Now, let me take a look at your eye. And, um, <laughs> and, um, let me help God out a little bit here. So, um, but, but once in Africa, I had a, a patient say that he was going to marry me. So after he had his surgery, he said, the, the doctor, the doctor, I want to marry the doctor. And, and <laughs> Uh, my husband actually videoed this guy saying that because so, he got such a kick out of this guy being adamant that he was going to he was going to take me home and he was going to marry me. Um, so it, ophthalmology is so rewarding. It is so rewarding, especially like in Sierra Leone when I do my mission work. And I know you don't want to talk about this a lot, but when they come in and both eyes have cataracts in them, they're led in. That means that someone has to be their caregiver around the clock. So while the rest of the family's out working in the fields, either a child is not going to school or one of the adults who would be working in the field is taking care of grandma because they have to take her out to the bush so she can pee and bring her back in. They've got to take her, they've got to give her food. They've got to take care of her. So if I do just one cataract, I can free two people. Wow. So it's, it's an amazingly rewarding thing to do. Over and that's there. a little tease because we're set up in about two months to interview Kathy on her mission work. We've, we haven't done a mission episode for three years and it's going to be great. 
But now back to the, quote, normal world of ophthalmology uh, in the United States. But Kathy, we started talking about Catholic beliefs. Are there any particular ways that you think that ophthalmology has any ethical concerns in it that you especially notice because of your Catholic faith? Or is this one of those fields where that really isn't a problem? Well, there can be a problem. Um, For example, if a patient has a friend who had an upgraded intraocular lens and they really want that because their friend, their neighbor, their uncle, whatever, had it, but because they've got retinal pathology, they're not going to have a good outcome. Mm. I think it's morally wrong for me to put an upgraded lens in somebody that I feel has pathology that would prevent them from getting the best result. So Mm. that's sort of an ethical issue. There's also the retina doctors use different types of um, the anti-VEGF or Neil, for mm-hmm. you know things that are bled in the eye, like diabetes or a vein sure. occlusion, and there's a real cheap one that's Avastin, and there's the more expensive like Ilea. and And I know that there's been some times when I've heard of some retina doctors charging for the expensive one but using the cheap one, which to me no. is right. obviously objectionable. Uh, but um, they they do that. But for the for the most part, it's really a very positive. I mean, if people come in and they've lost their sight due to something else, I can't, you know, I don't have any Lazarus power to raise them from the dead. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, for the most part, the the things that we do, um, cataracts straightforward. Glaucoma can be difficult. Um, treating diabetic retinopathy if they're not controlling their diabetes—that's mm. difficult because you got to systemically control that. The same with hypertension, high blood pressure—that's got to be controlled. Um, and so there's there's things that we can make a difference in, and there's things that we really need the patients to help us make a difference. Mm. Um, So, Kathy, what do you think are some misconceptions, if any, about ophthalmology and ophthalmologists? Okay, so this is something I hear all the time. I heard you're going to take my eye out. You're going to lay it on my cheek. Have y'all heard this? (laughs) Yeah, because the optic nerve really stretches. Yeah. (laughs) And then you're going to cut it open and just pull that cataract out. And you know, no, no. So then you tell them about the little tiny incision you're making and the implants <laughs> all folded up and it goes inside of the eye. That's um, that's the one. And the other one is they often think, just like the scales on St. Paul's eyes, they think that the cataract is a scale on the front of their eye and I'm just going to scrape that baby off. And <laughs> that's, that's not the case. So... Um, and, uh, I, you know, that, those are probably the biggest things as far as misconceptions with regards to um, ophthalmology. Sometimes they come in, you know, wanting their cataracts out. And when they really have something else, like they maybe have a retinal detachment and that's really what Ooh. they need getting fixed. Oh, you know, sure. that, yeah. that can be very disappointing um, because they're coming in going, I, I heard that you, you do a lot of cataract surgery and I think this is great. Yada, yada, yada. And I can't wait to get my cataract surgery done. And then you go, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to help you. We need mm. to see the retina doctor to get this taken care of. Wow. So, you know, sometimes that can be, you know, that can be really difficult to, to tell those stories. And, um, and I know we're going to do Africa later, but sometimes the kids that come in with tumors that I see in Africa, I, I can't mm. help because I just don't have what they need. You know, Kathy, that's a good segue probably into sort of understanding the difference between ophthalmologist, which is a hard word to say and, and spell, and optometrist, um, you know, a commonly used word. But tell us a little bit about optometry and optometrist, and when should a patient see an ophthalmologist versus an optometrist? That's a great question. The optometrists who are now trained so much better than what they were in the past are great for primary eye care. So your routine eye exams, even for your glaucoma checks, it just depends on how much of the um, equipment to evaluate the eye. So if a glaucoma patient needs to have a visual field and the measurements of their nerve fiber layer, um, I have some optometrists who will send the patient to me we do all the big studies, but they'll check the patient's glaucoma pressure 
the eye pressure like a couple of times a year, then send them back to us to do that additional testing. And then it goes back to them. Um, so many of them can, uh, can monitor that sort of thing. They're, they're far better at glasses, contact lenses, and that sort of thing. And now the whole world of contact lenses has changed. So there are certain eye problems where I need somebody who's good with contact lenses to fit somebody. So if somebody has keratoconus, which is where the cornea is real steep, there's certain contact lenses that can help them with that. Or mm. somebody who might have ocular surface disease where their corneas are so dry, you can get a contact lens that has like a soft surface and then the rigid part so it holds the tears in there and keeps their eye lubricated. So they're, you know, they do a lot of things like, like that. Um, most of them are really, really well trained. They can pick up retinal problems. They can pick up diabetic changes, mm. things like that. And then they refer them in to the ophthalmologist who will be the one who does the surgery or does the treatment. But oftentimes we co-manage. So sure. if I do a, a patient and do their cataract surgery and see them at one day and everything looks okay, and they've traveled an hour and a half to see me, and they're going to go back to their optometrist who's you know two blocks down, that just makes more sense. Well, so Kathy, in the in the time we have remaining, Tom and I spend a fair amount of time with with students, maybe pre-med students and med students. So if they happen to be listening and maybe they're entertaining the idea of ophthalmology, you know, what would you have to say to them about that uh, about that potential decision? Oh, I think it, they should don't even think twice. Just come right in. Have it. <laughs> If, if any of them are in the area of Pennsylvania, come and, and I, I have students watch me all the time and I'm happy to have them both in the clinic and in surgery. And we've got great monitors, monitors in surgery so they can really see well what's going on mm. in the clinic. They can also see how the patients are, are managed. We actually have a program here that's called the Heroes Program. And, um, and they let the students come in both high school and college. And mm. so it's, it's great that the whole, you know, they go across the board to look at different specialties. Um, but yeah, if, they, if, if you have somebody who's thinking about it, if there's somebody that they can um, shadow for a day or two and just get a feel for it, that's mm. what they should do. I think to just get a, and regardless of what specialty, I think that's always helpful. Well, Kathy, you've opened our eyes to ophthalmology. Any final comments you might have for our listeners? Yeah, um, actually, I, I just would want all the listeners to realize that our site is just such a precious gift from God, and it's mm. their responsibility to protect them, protect our eyes. You know, when you're out working with your weed eater, please put safety glasses on. If you're working mm. under the car, I, I, I just this weekend, I removed two foreign body, two rust foreign bodies. Um, so please protect them. Also, Please get routine eye exams, things that can be picked up so early. So macular degeneration, we can pick up now on an OCT before we can see it clinically. When I was mm -hmm. in training, that was impossible. So we could get them started on the vitamins and a healthier diet and UV protection and stop smoking and prevent them from getting to the point, maybe on those healthy well, diets. Kathy, Kathy, you've been a terrific guest. We can't thank you enough for spending some time with us and with our listeners. And we can't wait to have you back on Dr. Doctor. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It's great talking to you guys. Bye. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor. I hope you've seen your way to join us on this episode describing the specialty of ophthalmology. And now it's time to get back to the answer to this episode's medical trivia question, Tom. So out of the 12 pair of cranial nerves that go directly from the brain to an end organ like the eyeball, the tongue, the skin, muscles, how many of those 12 are related to vision and eye function? And I may hasten to point out that our guest corrected me because I had the wrong answer written down. I was not thorough enough. So the answer is actually six, half of the 12 cranial nerves, cranial number two, that that mnemonic on old Olympus towering top of Finn and German viewed some hops. That's the mm -hmm. first letter in each of the 12 cranial nerves. So old is the optic nerve vision itself. Olympus is the oculomotor nerve, which moves the eyeball in certain directions. Uh, the next the T is of towering is for trochlear, another muscle of eye movement. Then you've got the trigeminal nerve, which does a bunch of stuff, but including sensation and action of parts of the eyeball itself and the skin of the upper eyelid, then um, 
a before a fin in German is for the abducens, another nerve that moves a muscle to move the eyeball. And finally, the facial nerve, which does a bunch of uh, stuff, but including some of the muscles used to close the eye. So six of the 12 cranial nerves are involved with our eyes and their function. I mean, wow. they're very important in our in our day-to-day function, the, the 12 cranial nerves. And then most medical students will remember, it's almost a rite of passage to memorize the 12 cranial nerves in gross anatomy class. Amen. And Chris, our three top takeaways for this show. Well, you know, there's a bonus takeaway. One is I wish that I had 10% of Kathy's energy. Um, <laughs> yes. That would be great. Uh, but beyond <laughs> that, you know, I love when she said, God heals, we help. Uh, now let me look at your eye. I love, <laughs> I love the way that she said that. And then equally beautiful, she said, our sight is a precious gift from God. Protect it. You know, she she referenced wearing protective eyewear if you're doing anything where foreign bodies uh, could fly into your eye. And, and that's so easy to, you know, to skip, uh, but so important to do. And then finally, I think we, we need to all be reminded that care for your eyes, take care of them. Sight is so precious. So get routine eye exams with a with a good optometrist. Find things early so they can be treated more effectively. And Kathy told us she's getting ready to take another trip to Sierra Leone. And if you want to learn more before we do the episode on her, uh, the website uh, is www.thegiftsofsarabu.com. That's T-H-E-G-I-F-T-S of O-F Sarabu, S-E-R-A-B-U.com. But we're going to learn about it more in a few months with Kathy. Yeah, she was really remarkable. And it, it's just it's just such a great, um, it, it's so wonderful to see someone so excited about their specialty, uh, having done it so many years and touched so many people's lives. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to see. Amen. And Chris, listeners, thanks everybody for being with us for another episode of Dr. Doctor. You can find this and all our old episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. Just click on episode archive at the top where you can search over 260 episodes by topic or guest. And if for some understandable reason you want to see us, uh, (laughs) instead of just hear us, we now have our shows in our new YouTube link. Go to the top of drdoctor.org and click on that YouTube button. If you have a question or an idea, send us a note. Click on submit a question. We'd love to hear from you. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And this is Dr. Chris Stroud. We're signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Doctor Show and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Plus, find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.